As Matt said, part two today of our Philippians series. So if you're just joining us, you, you missed a bit of an introduction, so you can catch it on our website, but there's not too much to catch up on. Um, and today's message, we are going to learn all about how we all need partners. Do not worry, this is not some awkward introduction to then a mass speed dating thing after the meeting. <laughs> we are talking about a very different type of partnership today. We are talking about gospel partnership and how essential this is. And uh, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, uh, into, in Philippi, and he's describing his relationship with this church in terms of partnership. And he talks about it as a, a life-giving, joy-filled thing, and how partnership around the gospel can give us so much life and so much joy, and how we actually need these kind of gospel-strengthened partnerships together if we want to do well as believers, and actually if we want to know Jesus in his fullness as best we can. And so today's message is called The Power of Partnership, and we are going to be reading from Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 to 11. So if you've got a Bible, do read along with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Um, it's just my preferred choice. Um, you'll see the words there, but I hope if you've got a different translation, you'll still be able to track along nicely. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless on the day of Christ filled with the, fruitness, uh, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. One of my greatest weaknesses as a follower of Jesus is found in five words. I'll be praying for you. Which in and of itself, you think that is not a weakness, that sounds like a very good thing. But the problem I have is that I will have a conversation perhaps with somebody in the church and I will find myself ending the conversation as they've shared what's going on in their life with, oh great, I'll be praying for you. And then when I walk away from that conversation, I sense an inner voice, probably the Holy Spirit, saying to me, Duncan, are you actually going to pray for that person? Are you going to remember to pray for that person? Because you said you're going to pray for that person. Are you going to follow through on what you've said to them? And it's almost like I sometimes don't know how to finish a conversation other than by saying, I'll pray for you. And I, am I alone in this that I have that? It's almost like a Christian compulsive speech disorder. That is, you have to say it. And you have to, and I've noticed it actually so much in myself that actually over this last year, I have taken a conscious effort to make sure 
that I am very intentional about when I say it, and that if I do say it, I take a note of it, I write it down, and make sure I do actually pray for that person. So if I said it to you recently, I have done my very best to actually follow through on it. Paul did not have this problem. This guy remembers to pray. You get it right there in verse 3 where we started. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. But we see here, he doesn't just pray. Paul prays. Listen, as he's finished his greeting that we looked at last week in verse 1 and 2, listen to how he begins his, this thanksgiving section for the church in Philippi. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. How, how intense was that? <laughs> that cry matches the intensity of Paul's prayer language. Always in every prayer of mine, he's remembering them. Don't you wish Paul was your pastor? <laughs> He's never going to forget to pray for you. Every prayer he makes. How can he say why every time he prays is he praying for the Philippian church? Well, we get a, a, a bit of an insight in the end of verse 4. It says, making my prayer with joy. But every time he prays for the Philippian church, he knows joy. This should, I think, immediately draw us in. That Paul, as he is praying, every time he's knowing joy. I don't imagine that is many of our expectations, particularly praying for the same thing repeatedly. I don't imagine that joy would be the word that you would characterize that process with every single time. If I was to finish off verse 4, making my prayer with, after praying for the same thing time and time and time again, I might think making my prayer with duty, making my prayer with obligation, making my prayer because, you know, it seems like the right thing to do. But I think I'd probably lack the enthusiasm that Paul seems to have. I'm making my prayer with joy every single time. This is where I find my joy, in prayer for them. And this word joy, this is the first time we come across it in the letter, but it will not be the last time. Fourteen times throughout the whole letter, Paul is repeatedly talking about his own joy. He's repeatedly talking about the joy that the Philippian church can get hold of, that he's wanting to invite them into. You can have a joy-filled life. And this is joy in the most unexpected of places. Paul is in chains. He is under house arrest, probably about to die. I mean, he's got his very own lockdown situation going on. But not just is he locked up in his home, but as we'll look at next week, he repeatedly talked about, I am in chains. These are heavy chains around his wrists and his ankles, chafing at him, restricting him. Yet still, he's making his prayer with joy, chained to a jailer 24-7, which must have been the shift that nobody wanted, as this loopy Christian's just jumping around, chained up. Just imagine lockdown, but chained to the person that you live with all of that time. Desperate circumstances that Paul is facing, and yet in it he knows joy. Paul wants the church in Philippi to see his chains 
but he also wants them to know in it his joy. This church was feeling the squeeze. They were facing so much cultural and societal pressure to stop following Jesus, stop worshipping that that weird idea of a man who's died on a cross. Why would you worship that? Come on, just worship the emperor. And if you worship here, your life will be so much easier, so much more comfortable, so much more straightforward. Don't, like, why live like that? They were losing out on business. And so they weren't just sort of a little bit worse off having to buy supermarket-owned brand bread instead of a king's meal. We are talking totally impoverished. They were struggling to get make any of their ends meet, struggling to get through, really starting to think, is this sustainable? Are we going to make it? And Paul is here saying, it doesn't matter how dark it gets, how difficult it gets, look at my chains. They can lock you up. But however dark it gets, joy can be found. Joy can be found by coming to him. Joy can be found in worship. There is hope for us in chains. Hope for us where maybe you're facing the chains of mental health challenges that you thought, I thought that was gone. But the last 18 months just brought it roaring right back in. There's hope for you in life impairing and and impeding injuries or health issues that are holding you back. And you think, how can I ever, this needs to change if I'm ever going to have the happy, fulfilled life. Paul would say, no, even in chains, joy is available perhaps a new student and you're adjusting to uni life and it feels like through Freshers' Week and the craziness of it, it's just like, this is chains. This is, uh, I don't know how I'm ever going to find joy in this place. Paul would say, even in those chains, joy can be found. And as I said, he'll talk about it a lot, a lot of different ways and, and aspects of Christian joy. But today, in this passage, he says that joy flows from, verse five, he says, I'm making my prayer with joy Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And this word partnership, it's a a Greek word koinonia. And it's a really interesting word. It's got so many very different applications and ways that it can be translated in so many different contexts. So it can be quite difficult to nail down what does Paul actually mean by the partnership that they have. One thing it would definitely include is a financial gift that this church had given them. We read about it in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that Paul is grateful for the way that they have sacrificially given and supported. He holds them up as an example of, this is what generous giving looks like. But I think what Paul is actually alluding to here is far broader and wider than just, they gave me money, and so I thank God for you. This word can mean things like sharing in something or having a common goal and a common purpose. And it can even mean entering into a business partnership together. And so there's a possibility that the Philippian church and Paul have partnered together in opening a Starbucks franchise and it's just going very well for Paul and he's very happy about it. Someone's shaking their head. I think we can all probably shake our head on that one. For clarity, actually, I think we can be really helped by verse 7, because Paul then goes on to say, you are all partakers with me in grace. So he says, we're partners in the gospel, we have a partnership in the gospel, and we're partakers in grace. That he's talking here of a, a joining together, a uniting 
in the things of God. Their common salvation, their experience of the gospel is what joins them together. But actually, he's also going beyond that. Beyond just something that they have in common and a characteristic that they share, if you like, but working together in a common mission. Whatever this koinonia means and what specific thing that Paul was trying to say, pretty much every time koinonia is translated, it's to do with having an active collaboration and partnership together, of being participating and co-working and co-laboring and doing something together. At this moment, as Paul is writing to them, the the backdrop and the context is the gospel is spreading like wildfire around the the ancient world. The the churches are popping up all over the place. People are getting saved left, right, and center. There's signs and wonders going on. The church is going from strength to strength. The kingdom of God is advancing and advancing. And Paul says, this is a joint endeavor. We are doing this together. You are involved in this actively part of it. And our question then might be, what what, what does that mean? What does it look like? What is this church in in Philippi doing? And what's Paul doing? And how are they working? Are they strategizing? Are they doing some, some clever stuff together? But we don't get any insight into that. Paul doesn't elaborate on on what it looks like. He just wants to tell us what happens when partners in the gospel, when believers work together in something. We see through Paul's writing, what happens? Directly before he talks about we are all partakers of grace in verse 7, he says this, I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me in grace. I hold you in my heart, Paul says. Because of how we've actively worked together in the gospel work, you've got a deep place in my heart. Paul says. And then directly after, he says, we're all partakers in grace. So sort of sandwiching, that first first one was sort of the bread, supermarket own brand again. And then then it's the partakers in grace and then making up the sandwich. That was an analogy that didn't make much sense. Don't worry if you didn't follow that. He then says, immediately after, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. <laughs> Intense Paul is back again. <laughs> all the affection of Christ Jesus, I yearn for you. Hold you in my heart. I yearn for you because we have worked together. Through doing the work of Christ together, through being on active mission together, through building the church together, he's lost his heart to them. And they have known And he has experienced a joy through them, even through the suffering. A few few days ago, uh, some of us from the church went and did a bit of outreach on the streets. We, uh, for Freshers' Fair particularly, uh, which was absolutely wild. There were so many Freshers' about. We've been doing it year after year after year. I don't know if I ever can remember seeing so many people out. It was a lot of fun. It was chaos. And so we went out and we just wanted to invite people to church. We had some flyers to hand out. Shout out to you if you're here because of it. Welcome. It's great to have you. And so we we were just handing them out. and, And as you can imagine, we had all kinds of different reactions. 
we had some people that as we handed it to them, they saw it, it as they just laughed in our face. Like, you really thinking about going to a church? Does that still happen? I had a few people, as they, they reached out to take it, but then when they saw it was, they actively recoiled as if I was handing them a snake, which, again, I can understand given the cultural perception. And then, of course, as well, we had some really good conversations. We had people that were receptive, people that were looking for church, people who had never considered actually going to church until someone put an invite in their hand. And it was a right old mix of all of those things for each of us individually. And because of how chaotic it was, we were kind of out there doing it on our own, the eight or so of us, just in our spot, just as people came past us. That is going to sound very strange on the recording, isn't it? (laughs) But then, as much as it felt individual, when we came back together and we reflected and we shared stories of, oh yeah, it was tough, like a lot of people laughed and we got a lot of rejection, but there was this great conversation and hey, we got this person and let me tell you about so-and-so. It had something, a little bit, I think, of what Paul's talking about here. It felt like we were partners. It felt like we were a team. We joined together and my heart affection for each of the people Probably wouldn't go as far as what Paul says here, but increase just that little bit through an afternoon of outreach together, a partnership in the gospel, because we had been working together. And last week, we looked at how oneness and togetherness is a core idea in this letter to the Philippians, that Paul is encouraging them in community and family. Well, here he starts to talk about the stuff of, well, what does that actually look like? How does it come about? What is required of us? And he's saying, for it to really happen, we've got to be active. We've got to be partakers and participants in being the church together. Notice how he says to them, you are all partakers in the church in Philippi. For for Paul, to be in this church was to be a partaker, was to be a participant, was to be actively involved in, in doing stuff. He's saying that if you want to experience the joy of thick relational ties in the gospel, if you want true family, true community, don't just turn up. Don't just be present, as good as that can be. Paul's saying, look, you want to get involved. Start to, start to be actively present in this community. And I would just want to say at this point, I think that at Rev, this is embodied by so many people. It's very much the spirit of this church that has been a joy to see that, particularly since we came out of lockdown in April, so many people have joined the church through lockdown, and, but immediately as we moved to this venue, we're just like, we want to get involved in serving and doing our bit and, and playing our part in making the meetings happen. And people that have joined since, there's been some people kind of week two have been turning up at 8 a.m. to help set up the sound and the visuals week after week after week. And just a commitment of, I don't just want to be a spectator. I don't want to just consume. I want to get involved. I want to play my part. And again, it's been a joy to hear people say, and I've very quickly felt that this is home and this is family. And it's not a coincidence. They've given themselves and relational ties have come through. Even our worship night that we had on Wednesday, what a a beautiful time worshiping Jesus in the presence of God. So many people there, not just wanting to take a back seat, but saying, no, I want to get involved. I want to pray out. In our worship time just gone, I want to sing. I want to give my bit because I know That's what I'm called to. And the beauty is, of course, we are all partakers, which means that everybody 
has a role to play. Everybody can get involved. This is not just for the, the most gifted, the most educated, the most popular, the most wealthy, the most healthy. Just because you're wearing the right shirt, you've got the right shoes on, support the right football team. That's right, even Arsenal fans can get involved in the church. Isn't that the wonder of grace? <laughs> you're an Arsenal fan, Sam. We'll pray for you later. Extra, extra grace. That's the unique thing about the church. As the, the late John Wimber, who used to lead the vineyard movement, said, at church, everyone gets to play. Everyone's got a role, whether that's serving on a Sunday, whether it's praying out in worship, whether it's coming to pray for someone when they respond, to be with them and to, 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 to stand with them. And so uh, my encouragement for, for those, I know there's some people kind of looking in, maybe you're a student or you're just looking for a new church, whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else, don't look for somewhere that just sort of feels nice. Look for somewhere where you think, yeah, I could get involved here. I could play my part. I could be actively involved in what this church is about. Don't miss out, Paul would say. Don't miss out on the depth that comes from community, the depth of family that comes when we play our part and are active, and the joy the joy that Paul talks of. And don't miss out on knowing Jesus in it. That is the fascinating thing, I think, of verse 8, where he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is not Paul just being as intense as he possibly can be. This is Paul, he wastes no letters, no words. He means exactly what he says. He's saying, the same affection of Christ I have for you. And notice, if you like, the, the double blessing that Paul is talking of here. Because your translation might have, uh, I yearn for you all with the heart of Christ Jesus. That through Paul giving himself in partnership to this church, he knows more and more of the heart of Jesus Christ. Paul has been blessed because he knows now more of what Christ feels, more of his emotions. Paul here is testifying that he has been formed more and more into the likeness of Christ through his partnership with the Philippian church, through working alongside them. He has been changed. But perhaps more in view is the Philippian church and what they have received from Paul. They haven't just received from Paul a deep affection, a really human level, the most someone could ever love someone else. They have received the heart of Christ. That through Paul, through his heart, through his yearning, they receive something of the love and the affection and the heart of Christ. That they are receiving something of the person of Christ is made known in the Philippian church through Paul and his partnership. This is, I mean, he doesn't elaborate on it. This is a, a deeply mysterious thing for us, but that when we partner together in the gospel, we, in some ways, find Christ and reveal Christ to one another and have Christ revealed to us and the heart of Jesus made known. I wonder if you've ever thought about it like that. That's what happens on a serving team. That's what happens when we worship together. That that's partnership, that's active participation. And we show Christ to one another. 
putting out a chair isn't just giving somebody a seat, but is giving them Jesus. Slightly more motivating, isn't it? I mean, putting out chairs is fun anyway, right? But how much more fun when I'm giving you the risen Savior? And I think it's particularly remarkable that this is Paul speaking in these terms. Because I think it can be quite easy to think of Paul and all that he does, all his exploits, as he is a total maverick. Here is Paul as a pioneering lone wolf, off on his adventures, going off to change the world for Jesus, doing his thing. And when you you look at then the results and what goes, the impact that Paul makes, you think churches are planted all over the place, signs and wonders are happening, spiritual warfare, people getting saved left, right, and center. The gospel is let loose through this man. And look at his relationship with Jesus. He's a model disciple. He's what everyone longs to be. And it can raise, I think, a legitimate question within us, maybe consciously, subconsciously, do we really need church? Like Paul looked like he was just sort of operating on his own. And it can lead you to the idea of like, maybe church is holding me back. Like the challenges of all the people involved in church and having to manage all the different relationships. I just want to be let loose. Cut me loose like Paul. I'm going to change the world for Jesus. But here he says, no, he was deeply entwined in relational contexts, partnership, community. And it's through that that he learned the gospel, through that that he encountered Jesus. He would not be the man that he was, formed in the way that he was without these partnerships. He needed it. And if he needed it, how much more do we need these same ties? And last week, we, we saw that it's the forming into Jesus and the absolute pursuit of Jesus that was, is Paul's main thought throughout this whole letter. The central thought that he has. In fact, the central thought almost of Paul's whole life is I just want to live my life in pursuit of Jesus. And this letter, constantly, he's just so devoted to, to knowing Jesus, to having Jesus, to serving Jesus, that everything in his life is about pursuing him. This is the one thing. The one thing that is worth me giving my life to is him. And to give your life to just one thing, you have got to be pretty confident, pretty sure This is the one thing that is worth it. This is the one thing that is above all other things. And it's this gospel confidence that Paul has. That what we believe and what we're partnered around and what we're living for is the most important thing. And this is exactly why we have partnered together. That Paul wants to proclaim and impart to this Philippian church in perhaps what is the most loved verse in this passage that we looked at. Verse 6. And I am sure of this. I am sure of this. How's that for gospel confidence? I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is encouraging the Philippian church to reflect on where they started, reminding them. And and they all know their story. We touched on it a little bit last week. They all know where they come from. 
They know that the work was started off by God. They remember the vision that Paul had had to come and plant churches in Macedonia and where Philippi is. And they remember that Lydia didn't just get saved and didn't just say yes to Jesus, but the Lord opened up her heart. And as soon as she got saved, it all went nuts. And there was spiritual warfare, demons being cast out. Then Paul and his team got locked up. And then God performed a holy jailbreak to get them out. He brought an earthquake. Walls came tumbling down. Doors got flown open. And the gospel movement started to happen. They know they were started in power. They know that there was nothing, nothing of the gospel in Philippi. And then out of nowhere, Jesus Christ broke in and there was something. Something small, but something. Something that God then nurtured and brought up and brought them to where they are. They know it is only through God that they started. And they know it's only through God that they got to where they are now. But here Paul takes it one step further. He says to them, the same God that got you here, the same God that started you off, I am sure of this, he says. I am sure I am gonna br- he is going to bring you through to completion. This church feels fragile. They are losing all their confidence in their faith. They're probably feeling the pressure of city where it's getting harder and harder to follow Jesus. They're facing opposition, ridicule, and they're they're wondering, where has Jesus gone? All of that power of the gospel that we started in, where is that now? Why are we struggling? Why is it so hard? Where's that power in our lives? Where's the power in our church's life? Where's the power in our city? Paul's writing to them and saying, don't lose heart. Jesus is with you. He is deeply at work still. You might not be able to see it, but he is bringing you through to completion. He's faithful. He's committed. He'll never stop. Any of the believers that were discouraged in the church in Philippi, he just wants them to see once again, this is why we are partnered together. This is who we are following. This is the direction that we are going towards. He wants them to hear and receive the gospel all over again. He's reminding them, you did not start this. You did not start the own work, your own work in this church. You did not start the work in your heart. When you were still far off, Jesus came to you. He broke in. When your sins were still as scarlet, he came and he washed them white as snow. When you were still in the grip of the power of sin, when you were enslaved and helpless and rebellious, he went to the cross. He broke the curse. He shed his blood. Your salvation, your acceptance by God, your righteousness, your holiness, none of it, none of it depends on you, Philippian church. All of it is a gift, a free gift of God's grace given to you. He started you off. He's brought you this far. None of it is your work. All of it is a gift of a kind and merciful and good God. And he is a God who finishes what he has started. 
the thing that we may not notice in this is that this is Genesis 1 and 2 language that Paul is using right here. He says, he who began, Genesis 1, verse 1, first one verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God. He's speaking of the beginning of creation. And all throughout Genesis 1, God proclaims his creation is good. Who, he who began a good work in you. He says good and good and good over and over again until he makes man. And then it is very good. And then we read here, he who began a good work will bring it through to completion. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Heaven and earth were complete. And Paul, to the attentive reader, is saying that in creation, we see that the all-powerful, sovereign, creator God of the universe, the one who made it all, started off creation. And he revealed his faithfulness to completing what he started by finishing off his creation. The heavens and the earth were complete. And so if he has made it all and he brought that through to completion... I am sure, he says, I am sure that he has begun a good work in you will also bring it through to completion. If he can fling the stars into space, he can carry us through to the end. If he can keep the torrents of water still flowing through Victoria Falls, surely he can carry us through to the end. If he can be lifeless and dead and buried in a tomb, but come roaring forth in resurrection power, the roaring lion of Judah breaking through in resurrection eternal life, forever to be enthroned, then surely he can carry us through to the end. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that making it to the end, it does not rely on us. It's not about us working really, really hard, trying our best, doing our utmost, trying to make the grade, he will do it. He will complete us. This is good news for the weary. It's good news for the shaken. Good news for us in our darkest moments where we're wondering, Jesus, where are you? Where's the power? What is going on? Perhaps disoriented as you've moved to a new city, just thinking, I have no idea where I am, what's going on. Maybe the last 18 months for you have just been deeply disruptive, plans thrown up. You, I just don't know even what life is going to look like six months from now. Perhaps coming out of restrictions, the pace of life is just overwhelming for you. Paul would say, you can be sure of this. If God has begun a good work in you, he will bring it through to completion. And he brings it through to completion in himself. He brings it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He is working all things to draw us, not to some appointed end over there, but to himself. He's talking of the day that will come at the end of all history, the day of Jesus Christ, where he is coming down to earth, bringing heaven and earth with him into perfect union once and for all to renew creation so that he and his people can live together forever. 
This is the horizon that has gripped Paul's thinking. This is the, 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 the thing that captivates him on a daily basis. This, it, to know Paul and to know the letter to the Philippians is to know that Paul is just totally laser focused on one day Jesus is coming back. One day he is returning and that is where we're going and that is where we're headed. And because he is drawing all things to himself, all things must be created for him. All things must be about him. All things must be headed towards him. And so, of course, my life must be only about him and pursuing him. He knows this day is coming. And so life must be lived in light of it. It's so easy for us to forget. So easy for us to lose sight of that day is actually coming. We are so trained now by a 24-hour news cycle that tells us stuff that's happening right now of a billion hours of Netflix content that we can just watch right away, instant same-day delivery, that we are so focused on the now, on the what we can have right now, right in front of us, grabbing our attention. How easily we forget this day is actually coming. Jesus Christ is going to return for his people. All of this will go away, even the powerhouse, and we will be with him, and that that is the day that we live for. That is the place that we are going towards. We live for him. We live in pursuit of him, and it's that that Paul prays right at the end of this passage. He is saying to them, just to pick out one bit of it in verse 10, He's saying, knowing with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He is saying, choosing that which is excellent. He's, he, your translation might have something along the lines of discerning what is best, choosing that which is highest, understanding what really matters. He's saying there's lots of things you could be living for, but I want you to discern what is the best thing. Go after the best, the highest above the good. And so he prays for them, saying, choose that thing. Be radical in laying everything else down. Choose to live for the day that is coming. Could we just have uh, the band up for a little, little bit of music to help us to respond? This is why we need partnership in the gospel. Not just for the joy that we get through them, not just for fulfilling and rich community, but they help keep us on track. They help us living, keep us living for that day, the day of the returning Jesus Christ. This picture that Paul paints, I think, is a compelling one for us to be thinking about. That he shows us a way to be a people living for the day of Jesus Christ laboring, working together, knowing Jesus is with us, bringing us as, as a family and as individuals into a tightly knitted people as we work together and labor for him. I just want to invite you to perhaps close your eyes. I'll pray to finish. Jesus, we acknowledge your presence and